be reading through Malachi today. The Oracle of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has, made a male, who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart and give, take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction." 
You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I will make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married daughter, the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a spirit, with a portion of the spirit in their union? And was the, the one God and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let no one, let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to, to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. 
for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Good morning. All right, kids, raise your hands up. Where are you guys at? All right, so one of the things that we see in, in the passage that Mr. Matt and Ms. Sarah just read for us is that God tells the people that he has loved them. Now, is that true or false? Does God love his people? True. You're right. But his people respond and they say, how have you loved us? They're saying like, we don't think you have. Is that true or false? That is false, right? God has loved his people. And it's, it's kind of ridiculous for the people to be like, how have you loved us? This is kind of like, maybe this happens at your house. I don't know. But like your parents take you to like do a whole bunch of special things. And then at the end of that day, you're like, hey, how come we never get to do special things? You guys ever do that? No? All right, just my kids. Cool. Right? God has loved his people, but, and, and, and we know that, right? You guys all said that was true, that God loves us, right? But do we ever feel like maybe God doesn't love us? Yeah. And I, I feel that way. You feel that way. So there, there's times where maybe we ask the question that the people ask, where we say, God, how, how have you loved us? And what we need to do in, in those moments is the same thing that the people need to do. They need to look at what God has done. Like he, he, he tells them about what he's done in the history of his interactions with his people. Uh, he, he tells us, you know, in his word about, about who he is and what he's done for us. For us, we get to look to Jesus, right? Jesus is the ultimate example of God's love for us. And we sing songs about it every Sunday. We, we talk about it with our families during the week. We remember that he does love us so that in the times where we don't feel like it, we know the truth and we don't believe the lie. And so kids, 
I would encourage you to go home and, and talk to your parents about what they learned from, from Malachi, about the love that God has for his people, and about how he, he keeps his promises, even if at times we feel like maybe he, he might not. Uh, parents, go home and, and, and preach the good news to your kids, right? Remind them of the love that God has for us, that he has for you and for them. Uh, let's pray, and we'll get into to Malachi this morning. Father, we thank you that, that you do love us. And that in the moments where, where we doubt the love you have for us, that you shower more love on us. In your grace and mercy, you, you remind your people of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray this morning that you would, you would send your spirit as we, as we finish out the minor prophets, that your spirit would once again use your word to, to strengthen us and challenge us and convict us and, and stir our affections for you, that, that you would, would draw us closer to yourself through the words of Malachi, that, that we would benefit from them together this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, that, that you came to, to set things right. You came to, to, to demonstrate the love that you have for us to bring us into your family and, and out of darkness. In your name we pray. Amen. So we started this, this journey through the Minor Prophets uh, back in October. And today we finish it with the book of, of Malachi. Or, you know, my pastor growing up used to say that this was Malachi. He's the little known Italian prophet, which I thought that was funny as a kid. Um, yeah, so like as, we, as we've gone through the Minor Prophets, I would, I would guess that at times for you, at least it has for me, kind of felt like, like a slog, uh, like, we're, you know, like we're, we're eating granola. Like, it's good for us, but it's not Lucky Charms. It's not, it's not what we really want. It's not, it's not the book of Ephesians, which, spoiler alert, we're going to go there next where it's, it's just kind of this, this good news after good news after good news. Um, and so, like, the Minor Prophets has been hard, but, but it's good for us to go through the parts of God's Word that we don't normally go through, that we don't normally pay attention to, that we, it's just like a, a kind of a flyover section of Scripture. Let's just, you know, flip through that to get to where we really want to go. And so, today, we're in Malachi, where, where God kind of does what, what He's been doing throughout the Minor Prophets. So, as we've gone through these, we've seen God confront sin— uh, we've seen the people kind of continually confronted for their sin. Uh, they, he, they've, they've repented. They've, they've gone back into sin. They've repented. They've gone back into sin. Uh, we've seen God pour out judgment on them as he's, he's held them accountable for their sin. Um, and, and they've kind of refused to turn from it and walk in obedience. And over the last couple books, right, so Haggai and, and Zechariah, we've seen the people back in the land. So he's, he's poured out judgment. He's, he's exiled them, and he's brought them back to the land. They've been back in the land. They've, they've still been struggling to obey. They've still been struggling to keep their covenant with him, to, to be faithful and, and follow the Lord. But despite the fact that they still fall short, God is still their God. They're still his people. He's, he's still committed to them, and, and he continues to talk to them about this, this glorious future that he has in store for them. And that's what we're going to see in Malachi. He's going to confront the failings of, of the people and, and specifically in places, the priests, the, these people that should have been leading them towards faithfulness, but, but weren't. 
And so he's writing, Malachi is writing around the same time that, that Ezra and Nehemiah are alive. So this is like a hundred years after the people have come back to the land, 80 years after Haggai and Zechariah. So it's, it's further in the future. And this is the last book in the Old Testament. So in this, in, in this chapter, these chapters, chapters one through four, he's going to bring six arguments kind of against the people. There's a little back and forth. But, but what he's doing is he's telling them, like, this, these are the problems that God has with you. This, this is his, his dispute with you. And the, the first three, they kind of serve to turn people back toward the law, to, to remind them of the covenant that they made with God. And then the, the last three, they serve to kind of shift their focus to the future. Like, this is the, the hope that God has for you, what he wants you to trust in. And so the first argument is found in the first three verses, or, or verses two through five. It begins by God saying that he's, he's loved them. And they ask, how have you loved us? Now, you know, we talked about this with, with the kids, but if, if I was God, this might be the moment that existence just ended. Right? I, gave, I gave that example of like doing all the special things with your kids. And then your kids are like, how come we never get to do anything special as a dad, in those moments, I'm like, all right, no more special things ever, because we're all going to die. But God isn't like us. Right? Thankfully, he's not like us. He, he just responds to their question, right? In his grace and mercy and, and love that he has for them, he answers this ridiculous question that they ask of him. But he demonstrates his love. He, he begins by, he talks about, about Jacob and Esau and how even though they're, they're brothers, right? Israel comes from Jacob and, and Edom, kind of their, their, their enemy comes from Esau. He, he says that he entered into a covenantal relationship with Jacob because he loved Jacob. Esau, he, he hated. And so he, he has this love for his people and he's been committed to them. He talks about how, how even though he poured out judgment on Esau and Edom, right? They're trying to rebuild and they're not going to rebuild. He says he's, he's going to be angry with them for forever. But for his own people, right, he's poured out love on them. He, he's poured out judgment, but he brought them back to the land. He's allowed them to rebuild. Even though they're continuing in this cycle of sin and rebellion, he's still loving them. He's still their God. They're still his people. He's still committed to them. Right? Even though they've rebelled again and again and again, God has demonstrated his love for his people throughout his interactions with them. Even in his judgment, right, he's brought them back. So the, the point of this argument, the, the result of it is that the people realize, they realize that God has acted greatly on their behalf. They've seen that in how he's treated them, and they've seen that in how he's interacted with other nations. The next argument comes in, in, in verse 6 of chapter 1 through verse 9 of chapter 2. And this one focuses on, on the priest's false worship. So these, these people that should have been spiritual leaders, that should have been ushering the people into worship to God, uh, he's saying that, that that's not what they're doing. They, they, they don't honor him. They don't fear him. Uh, they, they Instead, they despise his name. And they respond by asking, how? How have we despised your name? And he says that they've offered, they, they've offered blind animals. They've offered lame and sick animals. And so what, what they should have been doing, what, what the people were supposed to do is that in their worship to God, they were supposed to offer, they were supposed to give him the, the best of the best. But instead, what they're doing is they're, 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 they're kind of giving him trash. They're giving the stuff that, that nobody wants. He says that even a, even a human governor would, would turn these things down. 
says that he wishes that, that one of the priests would just, would just shut the door to the temple so that these, these offerings would, would quit being offered in vain. He says he takes no pleasure in them, that he, he won't accept them. And then verse 11 explains how it should be. He says, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But instead, his priests have, have profaned his name and they've polluted his table. They, they, they haven't done what they're supposed to do. They, they, they say they, they find his commands wearying. They snorted them. They don't take him seriously. Instead, they... they unlawfully keep offering these, these inferior sacrifices. It says that instead of this, they, they should truly fear him. At the beginning of chapter two, he has, this, he has a command for them. He says, if, if they won't listen, if they won't take it to heart and honor his name, if they won't do the things that they're supposed to do, that they know that they should do, he says he's going to send a curse on them. All of their blessings will be cursings. Because really, they've already been cursed because, because they don't take his ways to heart. Not just that they're, they're externally disobeying, internally, they don't care about him at all. Verse 3, he says, He will rebuke their children and spread dung on their faces, the dung of their offerings, and they themselves will be taken away with their offerings. That they're, they're, they're heaping up judgment on themselves and on their children. So he reminds them of the covenant that he made with Levi, who, who all the priests come from. Says that Levi spoke truth. He, he walked with the Lord in, in peace and righteousness. He turned people from their sin. This is who they should be. The, the, this is the example that they should follow. They should guard knowledge and, and, and lead people toward instruction, right? People should be coming to them to seek instruction because of who they are. But instead, you know, they're, they're just turning aside from God. They're actively causing people to sin. They've corrupted God's covenant. They're not fulfilling the role God has for them. And so God says he's going to make them despised and humiliated before all of the people because they don't keep his ways. The next argument comes in verse 10. So he begins by stressing that, that everybody's been created by God, right? They, they all have the, the same father. He says that this is the case, right? If, if, if we're all together, if we're all connected, then why are we faithless to one another? And he's going to give two main examples of this faithlessness that he sees among his people. The first one is, is intermarriage. Right, so people from Judah were marrying people who, who worshiped idols. This was strictly forbidden in the law because what always happened is that then it led to the people worshiping idols. Right? Missionary dating is, is not effective. And, and this is what happened. Continue. Right? They, would, they would marry somebody who worshiped idols, and then the people would go after idols. The Lord says that these people are going, to be, are going to be cut off from Israel. The second example he gives is, is divorce. It says this. It says, in the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? So, so why doesn't he accept our offering? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So he's saying the Lord was a witness in, in this covenant that you made with your wife and you've been faithless to this covenant. Verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring, people that would, would follow him and worship him. 
So guard yourselves in spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So God here is is holding men accountable who, who faithlessly violated the covenant they made to their wives. So this passage establishes quite clearly two things. The first thing is that it teaches that, that marriage is a covenantal relationship, right? It's, it's not just this thing that we enter into willy-nilly. It's a covenant between man and wife, and, and God is their part of it. He says the, the spirit is, is part of this union. It's a significant relationship, like, like God's relationship that he has with his people. The second thing that this passage establishes is that these men are, are faithlessly forsaking their covenant through divorce. And and the reason that they have four divorces is clear here. Verse 16, it's the man who who does not love his wife, but divorces her. So there's been, there's been no transgression here, right? No, no adultery, no abandonment. This is just divorce for, for sheer lack of of affection. He's just saying like, I, I don't really like her anymore. And so I'm out. Like nowhere in scripture is that given approval. Nowhere in scripture is that okay. And so here it is condemned pretty clearly. It's not clear what it means when the Lord says that he will cover their garment with violence as a result of this, but, but like that, that's not a good thing. Right? They're, they're held accountable and they're condemned for this, this faithlessness towards their wives. Instead of being faithless, right, they should protect, they should, they should guard themselves from this kind of behavior. That, that's what he's communicating to his people. And so these first three arguments, right? He's he's demonstrating the love that he has for his people. He's reminding the priests of of who they should be. And then he's he's drawing people's attention to the importance of the the covenant that they make with one another. He's he's pointing them back to the law. He's saying like, this is who I desire you to be. This is who you should have been. And then the focus shifts towards the future. We see the fourth argument in verse 17. Malachi says that they've, they've wearied the Lord. Because they say that, that those who are doing evil are doing good in his sight. And so in response, God is going to send this messenger who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. Says the Lord's suddenly going to come to his temple. But, but it's not going to be as good as they think it will be. He's going to purify his people so that they'll bring in righteous offerings to the Lord. He's going to fix some of the problems that he's already addressed with them. Then he's going to draw near to, toward them in, in, in judgment. He's going to be a witness against sorcerers, adulterers, liars, against those who oppress the vulnerable and needy, against those who, who don't fear them. So he's going, to, he's going to come, he's going to purify his people, and he's going to pour out judgment on those who aren't his people. Now, you probably recognize at least the beginning of this passage from the New Testament, right? We see John the Baptist come, and he, he is the one who prepares the way before the Lord, right? God sends him as a messenger before his son who comes into the world, who, who goes to the temple, who, who redefines and reestablishes the people of God, and one day will come again to pour out judgment on everyone. The fifth argument comes in verse 6. First, he tells them why they haven't been destroyed, right? Why God doesn't do what we would maybe do in this situation. Because he doesn't change. He's, he's made this covenant with his people. He's, he's poured out his love on them, and, and that's who he is. 
And he's going to continue to be their God because of the covenant that he's made with them. Even though they consistently turn away, even though they they break their end of the covenant, he's going to uphold his. He's going to bring them back again and again and again. He says, return to me and I will return to you. But the people don't know how to turn back. He says, we don't know how to return to you. But then he gets to the heart of the issue, why why they really don't want to come back. He says, it's because they're, they're robbing the Lord. They're, they're not giving their tithes and offerings as they should. They're, they're cursed instead of blessed because they're, they're holding back what actually belongs to him. He says that, that when they give what they should, they'll experience blessing. He'll, he'll, he'll open the windows of heaven. He'll pour down blessing until there's no longer any need for it. He says he'll rebuke the devourer so that it doesn't cause their, their fruits to fail to grow or their vines to bear fruit. He says all the nations will call them blessed. There'll be a land of delight. His point here is that he, he hasn't changed. He's continually kept the covenant. They claim to be his people, but, but they're not doing the things that they're supposed to do. And because of that, they're missing out on his blessing. Now, we don't talk a lot about money here. We don't talk a lot about giving here. And, and part of that is because, you know, a lot of people left the church because they said, not this church, but like the church. Because the experience most people had with church was every time I go to church, they talk about money. Every time I go to church, they ask me for money. And so we don't don't want to be one of those churches. But I don't think that we can deny what what we see here, that, that God is saying, like, when you give, you experience blessing. Now, right, we we're not going like full health, wealth, and prosperity here. Like if if you put money in the offering box today, you will get a Ferrari this week. Right? That, that, that's not how it works. But what we see in scripture is that us living the way God calls us to live is good for us. Right? It's good for our hearts. It's good for our minds. It's good for the people that we do life with. Right? It's beneficial for us to live like God calls us to live. And one of the ways he calls us to live is to recognize that everything we have is from him. And so we should be generous and sacrificial with, with our money and, and with all that we have. And so if, if we're not experiencing his blessing in those ways, maybe we should look at whether we're actually being sacrificial, about whether we're actually being generous. Not so that we can get more, but because it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's good for us. Maybe not for our bank accounts, but it's good for our hearts. The last argument comes in verse 13. It says that the people have, have spoken harshly against him. They said that it's, it's in vain that they serve him. It doesn't, it doesn't profit them anything when they serve him. Instead, they see evildoers prospering. They, they go without punishment. They escape his judgment. But the Lord reiterates his commitment to his people. Just that he, he hears them, that, that they'll be his people. He'll take them up as his, his treasured possession. He'll, he'll spare them as a man spares his son. Once again, they'll, they'll see this distinction between the, the, the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and don't, right? There are times where we feel like this, right? Where we feel like those who, who don't follow God, that they, they prosper and my life is hard. I suffer and they don't. But God says that's not the way it's going to work out in the end. And really, that's not the way it works out in the present. 
we just don't see all the ways in which their life is miserable. Because chapter four, verse one, he says, the day is coming when, when all the arrogant, all the evildoers, they're, they're going to be stubble that's set ablaze. Neither root nor branch will be left. But his people, right, the son of righteousness, will rise with healing in its wings. His people are going to go out like calves leaping from the stalls. They'll tread down the wicked on the day the Lord asks. His, his, his point here is that it might not seem like it in the moment. But his people have a glorious future in store for them. It's going to be joyful. They are going to prosper in the end, not the wicked. And then the book closes kind of wrapping up these, these two sides. He, he encourages them to, to look back, to, to remember the law, to remember what he, what he told them about what he wants from his people when he gave them the law. And then there's a push toward this, this coming messenger, Elijah, to, to look forward for the one that's going to come and prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to usher in the day of the Lord. He's going to turn the, the hearts of the children uh, to their fathers and the fathers to their children. He's going to make things how they have always supposed to be. And this is, is the last word that the people of God get for 400 years. After, after Malachi, it's, it's silence for, for generations. And then this happens. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 400 years of silence. And then God sends John the Baptist. He sends this, this angel to tell this priest who's in the temple doing the things that priests were supposed to do, who's, who's living his life, trying to honor God, trying to please him, to tell him, hey, you're going to have a son, and your son is going to be this one who's going to fulfill this promise that was made 400 years ago. He's going to be the one that, that goes through or go, goes before Jesus to, to prepare the way for him to come. Right? All through the minor prophets, We've seen the people sin. We've seen them deserving of punishment. We've seen them come back to the land after judgment has fallen, and they continue in sin. They continue in their rebellion. And yet God continues to be their God and love them and, and, and give them promise after promise after promise that he's going to come. He's going to return. He's going to bring them back. He's going to restore them. He's going he's to make them right and set everything right. 
And Jesus is the yes to, to all of these promises. Right? He's the redeemer that we need. He makes a way for us to come back. He makes a way for us to, to end this endless cycle of sin and rebellion, to set everything right once and for all, to enable us to walk into relationship with him, to, to walk in obedience with him, to, to live the kind of life that he's called us to live. He gives us the gift of the spirit and he's making us new. The minor prophets make it abundantly clear that we need a savior. And then the rest of scripture shows us that Jesus is the savior we need. So I hope that as we've gone through these books, it's been good for you. That it's, it's encouraged you, that it's stirred your heart toward love for Christ. As we see how bad things would be without him. Thankfully, we get to live in a time where we, we don't have to, to endure 400 years of silence wondering how God is going to keep all these promises. We see that they find their yes in Jesus. Even as we long for him to return and, and fully complete his kingdom. To, to fully inaugurate this, this new heavens and new earth that we're waiting for. When we'll be right as we're supposed to be. So let's pray and we'll continue and worship together this morning. Father, I thank you for the minor prophets. That in them we see a reminder that, that you take sin seriously and that you hold your people accountable. And that you desire more from us as your people. That you want us to live like you call us to live, not just for the sake of our obedience to you, but because it's better for us. You actually desire for us to flourish as your people. And we thank you that in the minor prophets, we see so many promises that you gave to your people that, that you kept in sending Jesus. And so we pray that you would send your spirit to, to help us to respond rightly to your word this morning. That, that our sin would be convicted. That, that we wouldn't be faithless that we wouldn't hold back what belongs to you, that we wouldn't offer false worship. Instead, we would live like you call us to live. We would follow Jesus' example in all these things. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.